Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. But if you're not a patron and like to get our ad-free extended versions, or listen and interact with us live, like many people are doing right now, uh, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. You'll get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows. And thank you to Christian Rowell, who has started his Patreon adventure with us this week. Great to have you with us, Christian. And uh, thanks to everyone else continuing to support us. Well, everybody, it's time to dive headfirst into the world of sports ball. Uh, football that is the bbc is to stream dozens of world cup matches live in 4k resolution and in hdr high dynamic range uh, to uk-based audiences of course this june and july according to conveniently enough the bbc this week this will mark the first time the iplayer has covered one of the major sporting events in such quality however it will limit the number of screens with access the number of people with access um, and it's going to do that on a first come first served basis according again to the bbc but there's one other benefit to this is that footage of these games are going to be played at 50 frames a second rather than the usual 25 frames a second so it's a pretty big upgrade for those of you who can get access to this and it's also not something that's being broadcast in any sort of traditional terrestrial format via you know normal boxes it's it's very much an iplayer thing now one example that the beeb gave is that 4k resolution can reveal details that would otherwise be obscured including and these are the examples they gave the notes written on a yellow or red card or the time on a referee's watch now that is technically true i'm sure if you're close enough to the referee but even 4k has its limits and i don't want people to expect that if they're watching a game you know on a on a wide uh, on a wide shot that they're going to be able to somehow zoom in and read you know notes on a on a yellow card am i right in that ian do you think well yes i mean i would say so yes how's anyone going to zoom in anyway i don't know just move their head closer to the screen <laughs> um well i mean I, I would i would say probably in response to that that i think that whilst i'm i'm a big fan of you know the iplayer and and streaming in general um, but I, I have big concerns about the quality of those streams when they're delivered via the internet. I don't think they're pure 4K. They might be very good for a trial because trials are usually a test that's run at you know a, a number of different rates to determine what's acceptable to viewers and what isn't. Um, it will be very interesting to see how this looks. Uh, I'm a big proponent of high frame rate material, and I know that a lot of people who... Um, who like films don't like it, and I'm I'm sort of ambivalent about it in t- in film terms because obviously we're very used to 24 frames a second for films. Um, that makes us mostly think of film. That's why TV tends to try and emulate that look when it's going for high class drama. 
But for sport, there is absolutely no reason not to have 50 frames a second or 60 frames a second because what you're trying to do is capture the movement with as much reality as possible. And you simply cannot do that at 25 frames a second. 25 frames a second is a terrible frame rate for action in general. Um, and if you've ever gone to the cinema and watched like this, I remember this quite clearly from when I went to see the Bourne Identity in the cinema. Um, it, it's used deliberately, but the the motion blur you get in those films is really quite annoying, and you feel like you're not actually able that you feel sort of like that you're missing something of the movie. It's quite a I don't know if it just affects me, uh, but I, as a rule, when there's lots of action in those things, if it's not done exactly right it feels very disorientating, but they use it to their advantage. They use that low frame rate to conceal, um, you know, the way they stage fights for film. So it's it plays to the, you know, the, the use of the medium. Uh, but yes, yeah. for, for sport and news and current affairs and stuff like that, we should be using 60 frames a second. And online, there's no reason we can't. The BBC is the first to do this in HDR, but uh, BT started screening live sport in 4K three years ago, now, in 2015. Correct, I, I don't believe their streaming was 50 frames a second, was it? I don't think so. It no. also definitely wasn't HDR, but but the picture size-wise, it was 4K. Uh, Sky did it in 2016 as well for, for live sports, but the BBC is first for, to do this with HDR. But the, there's one key bit of difference here that I think uh, hasn't been explained, is the bit rate. Now, I think the BBC said that um, people would need about 40 megabit connection down but 40 megabits for hdr 4k content at 50 frames a second very low is very low so it's presumably h265 well we don't we don't know i mean i think it would be if the box if the tv can support it but not all tvs who've got iplayer as a smart you know on on a smart tv no presumably they won't uh, i would have thought this would have been a pc thing is that not right we, uh, they haven't announced um, all of these. I think the Apple TV would be included in this because its big selling point was 4K and HDR. So it would it would it would make a lot of sense. Um, Nick in the chat room is asking about how about set top boxes like BT. Um, I would say absolutely 100% no. Now this is the first time I think that Ian and I have ever had to talk about football. And if you like me have absolutely no knowledge of football i i researched something and i've written a little primer just to help everybody understand uh what football is uh this is this is what i've written i wrote this this morning um, over breakfast football is a competitive activity played atop a giant 100 meter long garden in which 22 people use their legs as batons to thrust a spherical leather projectile across the length of the grassy play area 11 of the players try to keep the leather projectile, or ball, away from a large vertical net situated at one end of the garden, or pitch, and towards an identical net on the opposing side. 11 other players endeavour to keep the ball away from this net and hurry the inflated projectile in the opposite direction. Tension is created by the opposing opinions of the two teams of 11 as to which net the leather sphere should reside within. It has been suggested both teams sign a memorandum of understanding ahead of play as to which net the ball should be targeted at, thereby allowing all 22 players to collaborate on a shared vision. However, critics have highlighted that this would drastically reduce game time and reduce ticket sales. Would you say that's about accurate? I would say that you might as well have written the Wikipedia entry for football. 
This week, The Guardian wrote that British business directors could be personally fined up to £500,000 if they fail to prevent nuisance calls under a government consultation on the issue. Now, there'd been a big recent increase in the fines issued to companies. Last year, apparently, there was one company fined £400,000 for making almost 100 million automated calls within 18 months. Um, But there's been concern this isn't a sufficient enough deterrent, according to The Guardian. So the data protection watchdog said that in several cases, directors had escaped fines by declaring their companies bankrupt and starting again under a different name. So this is a way of saying, well, even if you are bankrupt, you still have to pay. Uh, And also on top of this, the new fines could be levied in addition to the fines that have been imposed onto a company. So there's a maximum theoretical penalty of a million pounds for the worst offenders in an area uh, regularly shown to cause annoyance and distress to householders, especially older people. Now, Ofcom, our telecommunications regulator here in Britain, was quoted by The Guardian as saying that Britons were subjected to an estimated 3.9 billion nuisance calls and texts in 2017 alone. 3.9 billion, which possibly leads us to understand why Richard in our chat room right now says that these people should be hung, drawn and quartered uh, and uh, therefore a million pound fine is is probably not sufficient. Yeah, now, I mean uh, well, it could be, but but again, like yes, if if these com- if these companies haven't got that money, then it's pointless, isn't it? Little Scotty in the chat says it's a it's a pain to report, which is exactly my feeling on it because basically, firstly, I don't take calls from numbers I don't recognize, so I'm never going to hear about them. And say and you know, we've all had text messages, but yeah, reporting them is a, is nearly impossible. So, yeah, it's a bit of a this is a classic Ofcom, isn't it? It's a good idea in theory, but the but the regulator is terrible. Up to about 2 months ago, I'd never had really any of these kind of automated robotic calls. In the last 2 months, I've had about 5 of these calls and they all come in from a very strange number. I remember one in particular came in from a number that said it was from Nigeria because of the first 3 digits, 2 or 3 digits. The number was plus 123456789090. And I thought that's that can't be for real it said it came from nigeria and i didn't even bother answering it because i knew it'd be fake i had one that came in the other day from one eight 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 um well, that, and that could be an american number right well that's why i answered but it wasn't it was another automated message so i hung yeah. up hung up after the first word and and i've i've spoken to a few people recently that have had these these weird calls and every now and again i've, I've had one and i've googled the number and, and the top results are always who is this number or who is calling me things like this and also this regulation or rather this proposed new regulation would only apply to british businesses and there's no way of knowing whether a lot of these nuisance calls that are coming in are, are originating within british businesses also some of them may be nuisance calls from real people some of them may be these robo calls these automated ones that come in from goodness only knows where and there's not a great deal that fines are going to do to stop those i think to a certain extent there may need to be some impact input from networks and from maybe even device makers to add sort of better filtering for for these or some kind of automated answering system that if the AI thinks that a phone call is from an automated source, it doesn't pass pass it through to you, you know, or, or or something along those lines. It feels like that that should be a should be a thing. Well, hopefully, dirty one million pound less wealthy monkeys hung, drawn, and quartered, and then the quarters fined for the inconvenience they are causing. Um, would be very interested in hearing any comments people have in the world of 
text message listenership. Sorry, I'm slightly fluffed that. Um, let us know if you've had these calls. How do you deal with them? Hello at techpodcast.uk. Ian, good news for fans of The Sun. Uh, not the newspaper, but the giant orb in the sky, our overlords. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the uh, the giant uh, sky orb. Yes, so am I. It's uh, full of helium and hydrogen and a lot of other stuff. Google is going to be offering a new service which it says could help British homeowners save money by switching to solar power, according to the BBC this week. Awesome. The tech giant has released an online tool called Project Sunroof in partnership with UK energy supplier Eon that estimates savings using data from Google's Earth and Maps apps. The Sunroof Project, or Project Sunroof, as it's officially called, if you refer to the previous sentence, uses machine learning to estimate how much solar potential a house has by examining the property's features, such as roof area and angle, and weather data, such as sun positioning. The BBC also said that Google claims its models are detailed enough to assess the impact of a single tree on a home's solar potential. Now, this is new for us here in the UK, and it's going to launch in Birmingham, Brighton, Liverpool, Newcastle, Reading, and parts of London. But it actually launched in the US in 2015. And I think between then and now, and I'm going off script here, but I think it launched somewhere else in Europe, maybe Germany. But um, check that before you quote it in any halls of power, listeners. But I believe it was Germany after the US. Um, so the idea here is that when, when you've got data in hand, uh, the thinking is that homeowners have more information available to them about how much power they could actually be generating for themselves from the sun and therefore how much they could re- they could save on spending yeah. on electricity from the national grid this is a great idea i'm in, i'm in favor of this if this was if this was a uh, if this was a facebook post i'd like it if it was a flagpole i would salute it and if it was ian morris i would kiss it ian what's your view on this um, well, I'm I'm a really big believer in solar power, and um, I mean, say, I mean, obviously, you get people moaning about all kinds of renewable energy, but in my view, if if this government of ours or any government in the world wanted to make a real difference, then they would um, work out a way to massively subsidise solar panels, and they would enable them to be put on as many roofs of businesses and houses and all that kind of stuff, and. Um, I don't know, any any areas that are useless for agriculture or anything like that, just plonk some solar panels on them. Because really, uh, it's the most free and abundant source of power we have, and we might as well use it. It's um, it's predictable. I mean, it's, it's not completely predictable. But even on a cloudy day, you'll gather some energy from solar. Um, and I guess, you know, if it's not a nice day, it might be a windy day, so you can switch to wind, you know. Um, I, I just honestly think every time I look at a roof and it doesn't have a solar panel on it, I just think that is a waste of space and we could be generating huge amounts of electricity here. I just genuinely think that solar is excellent. Like, I mean, I, I know it's not the I know it's not the solution to every problem, but my local library has uh, solar panels on the roof and inside it has a display that tells you how much electricity is being generated from them. Now. Obviously, a library's, a library's a pretty big building and obviously has quite a lot of solar panels up there, but it generates quite a lot of electricity. Um, you know, so it, it, again, it's it's these things are if we chip away at this problem, we could easily get to a situation where we're, you know, we're using a third less, you know, nuclear or a third less fossil fuels. It can only be a good thing. I don't care what anyone else says. Well, I 
I'm planning on replacing our solar power cells at some point in the future, but other things have become more important in the intervening time, such as I needed to buy a new drum kit. Oh, right, okay. And I got married. Um, yes. And apparently that's more important than putting up solar panels. But it is something I'd like to do at, at some point. Um, and I like that idea of the visibility. And I think this is why Google's system could actually do a lot of good because it's really difficult i think for people to know or to at least have a guess at how much money they could save from solar panels that is true um and if and if it's as automated as i hope it is then you probably just go onto google maps type your past you know your postcode in draw around your house or something or maybe you can automatically detect it and then it can tell you which is clever i would love to know people's stories about solar power um, in their house specifically if you've got it installed how did he do it why did he decide to do it what was the impetus what was the catalyst and uh, maybe even how much does did it cost you how much does it save you um, it'd be great to get some interesting th- uh, figures from across the uk but also internationally as well if uh, if you've got one what what difference has this made to you is it worth the uh, thousands of other people listening right now uh, is it worth them investing and doing it uh, but you can send it to hello at techpodcast.uk V3 wrote this week, Ian, that Dixon's Carphone is going to close 92 Carphone warehouse stores in response to falling sales as mobile phone users hold on to their devices for longer and opt for short-term and SIM-only deals, which are much much less profitable for the companies that sell them. The company had warned of this trend last year when it said the increasingly expensive flagship smartphones like the iPhone X and Samsung Galaxy S9 were turning customers off. When they shut like this many stores, the answer is almost certainly they had too many. Um, and they've just realised that they can save some money by shutting some. So um, presumably there'll be ones that don't perform, and it's inevitable. I can appreciate that the stores exist for people who aren't able to browse the web and comparison websites quite as efficiently as us in uh, on Planet Nerd. But still, I, I sort of think it's only a matter of time, isn't it? But there yes. we go. Um, long contracts are to blame. I mean, they're, they're not going away. We have three-year contracts in Britain now, I've seen. Haven't they? Oh, I, have, I thought they'd ruled those illegal. They There's a workaround that we talked about a few months ago. I think it was Virgin Mobile that was offering it. We um, Well, yeah, because it's not, because you're basically taking out a three-year loan on the phone and the contract is two years. That's exactly it, yeah. It's, but the uh, phone will still be locked to that mo- mobile network, so you still have to stay for an additional year. Yeah annoying sneak Um, sneak sneak well finally just before we move into uh, our messages of the the week i just wanted to note that plex ian's favorite piece of software in the world is now supporting podcasts ian uh you've had a little look does it look promising well yes i mean the problem is it's only launched on phones at the moment from what i can tell so if you've got um if you've got the plex app for your mobile phone or um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or tablet, it, you'll see an option for podcasts. Now, I added a text message this morning. Oh, obviously. was it in the store? It was indeed. I don't know oh, what good. database they use for it. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I searched for a text message, found it no problem at all. Um, it's uh, It seems fine. Uh, the only thing is, I don't know why I would use this app over any other podcasting app. Uh, that was the text message podcast advert playing there. I thought, oh, I can play text message because obviously we've got the rights to it. And then I forgot that there's an advert. Um, yeah, so it's um, 
It, it seems fine. Uh, I've all, I, I, you and I have talked about this before, haven't we? That I, I'm not a massive fan of the Apple Podcasting app. I find it really unintuitive. I gave it the benefit of the doubt for two months, and I and just had you to back get off rid of again it again now. And I went back to Pocket Cast. <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll have to front up for Pocket Cast, I guess. But yeah, um, I, I just find it doesn't. It's it lacks logic. There's nothing wrong with it. It, it. it could be a good app. There's a lot wrong with it, mate. There is a lot wrong with that app. I'll be honest. I could write an essay about what's wrong with that app and maybe i will well maybe but... maybe i should try and um and and go through plex and see if it's actually a, a productive thing what i like the idea about plex i like and i think you would enjoy this is the idea that it could sync your podcast progresses a- across devices as much as apple does well pocket casts cro- pocket casts does that as well oh does it but is pocket Casts available for things like apple tv and shield and stuff like that it's a uh, Apple TV, no, but you can AirPlay to it. But it has a Mac app. It's on. It's got a very, very good web interface. Extremely modern web oh, interface. Right. It's on PC. It's on iOS, Android, all that sort of stuff. So oh, I'll have to check it out then. It's it's well worth the money. I mean, how much I, is it? I don't know. About three quid. Three pounds for yeah. some developer to spend years of their life toiling away in a room. I know, right? Outrageous. But, Anyway, we just wanted to mention that Plex is uh, now available. So if you are using Plex and would like to enjoy your text messaging on, uh, well, Plex, then uh, you can. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week. But let's move into our feedback section. We had this message come in last week from Luke, but we ran so long uh, last week that we we bumped it to this week. But it's uh, a very interesting response to our discussion about tech and accessibility from a couple of year, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Luke says, a good friend who has since become a colleague, uh, a colleague of mine is blind since a young age and he's using tech to his advantage, though there are big differences in the tech world. The first one I ever noticed was about 10 years ago when my friend had just bought a new Nokia, which the salesman had touted as being very good for a blind user. It turns out this wasn't the case and it was very easy to crash the voiceover function of the phone, resulting in an error message on screen without any other indications that phone was promptly returned and he got an iphone instead in my opinion apple has always led the charge for accessibility for its users i believe apple was among the first companies to make native os components voiceover enabled and quite strongly demanded third-party apps do the same the last time he and i tried an android phone it had gotten better but was still a long way from apple some other examples of Uh, how the ever-increasing smarts of the smartphones are helping him are using Google and Apple Maps navigation while walking to a new location. The phone will tell him where to turn left or right, and his service dog, or guide dog as we call them in Britain, or I think seeing eye dog in the US, uh, can help him navigate more local obstacles like parked bicycles and such. The, uh, the better voiceover capabilities of the phone means that text messaging is now a true option for him. Even emoticons are translated to speech. I'd love to know what that was like with yours, Ian. Because you send the same emoticon like every five minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, yes. I mean, I have become a bit of an emoticon chore, haven't I, really? But yeah, are they always going threes? It's always threes. Yeah, it's the, for those of you, it's uh, sideways face crying with laughter, man. Yes. Um, is, is Ian's face. Uh, Luke continues, at work, we've outfitted his iPad with a keyboard cover, which means he's able to use the iPad to take notes and be more mobile than have, having to carry his laptop and braille display to a meeting and set it all up. 
We've paired his iPhone with a set of Bluetooth bone conduction headphones. This means he can hear the phone without the need for conventional earplugs, freeing up his ears and his hearing and enabling him to receive and read audible feedback from his phone while in a meeting or conversation. He put and read in uh, quote marks there, of course. There are also some problems with technology and accessibility, though. It's very clear that this market has a lack of competition. His Braille display is a clear example of this. It looks, feels and handles like a World War II German U-boat Enigma machine and weighs about a metric ton. Getting the Braille display to work with our virtual machines is still proving a problem and even the setup on his laptop is flaky at times, all thanks to old drivers and bad documentation. This lack of competition is something I notice with even with different uh, with different branches of accessibility companies, hearing aids, tech for blind people, the elderly, etc. The market seems to just be waking up and taking advantage of the smartphone world. Uh, now, Luke included a couple of photos to illustrate uh, the setup that his that his friend is, is using. And we're going to include those with permission at techpodcast.uk. So if you go and look for show notes for episode 140, you'll see a couple of pictures of the bone conduction headphones and uh, the Braille keyboard that, uh, that, that Luke is talking about. Let's head over the pond and hear from the DTNS crew about what's been going on in the wider world of tech this week. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we compared buskers taking tap to pay in London to my cashless experience in Australia, which was wonderful. And we got the scoop on the best earbuds from Patrick Norton, who says you can get earbuds as good as over-the-ear headphones. We also talked through some of Mary Meeker's State of the Internet report, especially regarding smart speakers, and prepared for Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference coming June 4th. All that and an attempt to explain time crystals at dailytechnewsshow.com. It's a three-way, Ian. Tom, Roger, and Sarah. Um, I'm, I'm in favor of this uh, this trio. This trifecta. Exactly. Talent. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's great. I, I'm assuming this came from the fact that Sarah was doing the promos while Tom was away, and then Tom got came back, and Sarah's like, "I am still going to do this." And Roger said, "I want to be in on this." And Tom <laughs> says, "Well, this is my job, so we'll just share it." Uh, that's what I like to think fueled this. Who knows? Maybe Tom was just tired from returning from Australia. Uh, but do check them out: dailytechnewsshow.com. Some great stuff this week. Um, that's going to do it, I think, for uh, for text message this week. Thank you to our patrons supporting us every week, including Alex McQuilkin, Fallen in C, Stephen Huxtable, and Jacob, along with many others. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, as you've heard many people do this week, and we had a fascinating, very, very long discussion um, about film cameras replacing digital and, and, uh, and a whole lot more quite a long discussion actually that one uh, which you can hear now as you'll get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows maybe you can help us finish the month with one more patron than we had last month send any comments to hello at tech podcast uk and follow us on twitter which is at text message pod uh, leave a review on itunes that's a really good way of supporting us for free it helps us just as much and from me nate langson and me ian morris we'll see you in a week Actually, nope, that's a complete lie. Uh, we probably won't see you next week because next week, this time next week, I will be in a very muddy field in the north of England at the Download Metal Festival. So we probably won't have a show next weekend, I'm afraid. I don't think we will. And let's be honest, you'll be a wreck. It's true. But if you are at Download Festival by any chance next week, uh, do let us know. You can let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. We'll meet up. 
and who knows maybe we can record a little something with uh, listeners <laughs> if there are some of you there um, but perhaps then we'll see you in two weeks even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.